This message by Bob Coughlin titled Serving Future Generations is made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. It was recorded during the last main session at our 2004 Worship God Conference. Bob serves as Director of Worship Development for Sovereign Grace Ministries and as a pastor and worship leader at Covenant Life Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland. This is how we want to start this morning, uh, at least this, this message. Raise your hand if you're 20 years old and younger. Okay? Outstanding. Okay? Raise your hand if you're between the 21 to 40. Okay? Excellent. And raise your hand if you're 41 and older. Okay, good. This would be three generations. A generation being 20 years. When you're 20 years old, you can start another generation. And what I'm, what I'm going to be speaking about this morning is serving future generations. But we have future generations right here in this room. And we are going to read Psalm 145 together as three generations. Uh, the first group I mentioned will be group one. Second group will be group two. It'll be, it'll be put up here on the screen. And the third group will be, guess, group three. Uh, and so if we would, let's just stand to do this. Um, we're going to read God's word. I think this psalm is, is a wonderful introduction to what I'm going to be addressing today, to the topic I'm going to be addressing. So we'll begin with group one. Okay, we've got to do better than that. I shouldn't have started with group one. They're the younger group. They're inexperienced. I should, okay. But we already practiced once during corporate worship. So now, you know. Yeah, just, just read it out just like that. I'll help you. I will. Thank you. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The eyes of all look to you, 
and you give them their food in due season. Speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Isn't it wonderful to hear men and women from three generations worship God together? Isn't that the kindness of the Lord? Would that it were that way and was done so easily in all churches, but that's not the case. I read not too long ago of a church in Phoenix, Arizona, a mega church associated with the Assemblies of God, which at the time of this article was offering three services each Sunday. The first was a traditional service, which meant in this context, gospel songs, hand clapping and speaking in tongues. That's the traditional service. A contemporary service, which included electric guitars, drums, and praise songs, and then a Gen X service, rooted in high church rites and liturgies. More and more churches are doing this, or at least there are a great number of churches who offer different meetings for different, really, generations. And these were the pastor's comments when asked what he thought about what was going on. What we are seeing is a struggle between three very different generations, each of which rejects the other's approach to worship. This is distressing, to say the least. At some point, you have to find some source of unity. Well, I don't know if that church has found some source of unity But I know that God has given us not only some source of unity, but one source of unity, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our source of unity. And we read it in Ephesians 2, verse 14 through 16. It says, For he himself is our peace, who made us both, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It is common in our culture for generations to be at odds with one another, isn't it? For teens to despise the counsel of their parents, for parents to say things like, oh, I just can't wait till they get out of the house. That's, that's normal. That's not to be the norm in the church of Jesus Christ. God sent His Son to die on a cross for our sins and rise from the dead so that that would not be what 
is experienced in His church. We will always need to look to the gospel as our source of unity because there is always this transition from one generation to the next going on. It's always happening. You know why? We all get older. In case you haven't noticed, children become parents. Parents become grandparents. Grandparents, if they live long enough, become great-grandparents. And God intends for them all to worship Him together in the same church, even in the same meeting. And to enjoy it. And to appreciate it. Transitions taking place right now, whether we're aware of it or not. And the question is, what are we doing about it? Are we even aware it's taking place? God's very aware that there's transitions taking place. He speaks to them in His Word. There were many transitions that took place from one leader to the next, and very few of them were handled well. Handled in a way that that glorified God and strengthened His people. I want to read some verses from Psalm 78. To, to get us going. I'll be referring to this. I could have used Psalm 145, but this has been on my heart. This will not be an expository sermon. I won't be going through this verse by verse. But try to appreciate God's heart for one generation serving a future generation as we read these words. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, And arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Father, as we spend time in your word, as we spend time reviewing what you have done here, as we spend time anticipating what meets us when we get home, I pray that you would work by the power of your spirit to quicken your word to us and to oppress upon us 
the significant role each one of us can play in passing on worshiping you to the next generation. I feel completely inadequate to be speaking, but I know that you love everyone here and that you care for them. So I ask you to use these words for your glory and to serve your purposes. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, amen. You hear the transitions taking place in that passage? I'm talking about the children and what our fathers told us and those yet unborn. God wants something to take place that's continuous, that's connected. And we see at one point he even commands the fathers to teach their children. I've thought for months, probably years, about giving this message. And I'm sure that years from now, I'll look back on this and think, oh, I was just beginning to scratch the surface of God's heart on this topic. Because it is, it is a dishonor to the name of Jesus Christ that there is even a phrase such as worship wars. And it reveals a lot about how much thought we've given to this topic or perhaps haven't given to this topic. So that's why we want to address it this morning. As transitions occur from one generation to the next, we must grasp the distinctions between what changes and what can't. We want to impart the distinction between what's biblical and what's preference. What's biblical and what's generational. What's biblical and what's perhaps just the way I like it. We need to know and teach the next generation and future generations what is wisdom and what's a quick fix. We need to know the difference ourselves between what lasts and what doesn't last. Worshiping God is meant to be an intergenerational event when we're speaking of corporate worship. It is not meant to separate us. If it does, we have much bigger problems than what style of music we're using. But many churches are failing to demonstrate the truth of the unity Jesus Christ has made possible for us at the cross. Not speaking of a unity that downplays the truth, that kind of seeks the lowest common denominator of truth, that just says, well, let's find out something that everybody agrees on, let's just do that. I'm speaking of a truth that exists, uh, sorry, a unity that exists because of the truth. A unity that is made possible because Jesus Christ has died for all our sins. Not just some over here this way and some over here that way and... He wants us to relate to him differently. We can only relate to God one way. And it's through the Savior. There's no other mediator. So we must learn how to serve future generations as we study, practice, and grow in our worship of God. How short-sighted if we are just coming to 
worship conferences and studying worship just for ourselves. We are serving future generations. And this is what I want to say this morning. Our understanding and practice of worshiping God today can help or hinder those who worship God tomorrow. Our understanding and practice of worshiping God today can help or hinder those who worship God tomorrow. I want to speak about three specific ways that we can serve future generations in our practice and understanding of worshiping God today so that we are a help rather than a hindrance. Don't you want to be a help to the next generation? Don't you want your children, your grandchildren to say, boy, I'm glad my mom and dad, my parents, those older people did what they did and said what they said because it helps us know what really matters. Rather than just handing them more confusion. Or worse yet, saying, figure it out on your own. Just go have your own service. Go do your own thing. We'll see you in heaven. I don't think that's God's intention. Check you out in heaven. Don't know what kind of music we're doing there. I mean, i got a pretty good idea. (laughs) Okay. Three ways we're to serve future generations. Biblically, these are the points I'm going to make. Biblically, intentionally, and humbly. And first we're going to talk about biblically. We must have in our worship a biblical view of God. That's why this conference is the Worship God Conference. That's why the messages have built, been built around the nature, character, actions of God. Because we must get this right or it doesn't matter what else we do. From Psalm 78, verse 4, we will not hide them, the things that we've been told. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation what? The glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. When Israel entered the promised land, God told them, you've seen all these great things, now you've got to impart them to your children so that they know who I am. And what I've done. John Stott in Authentic Christianity says this. All true worship is a response to the self-revelation of God in Christ and scripture. And arises from our reflection on who he is and what he has done. The worship of God is evoked, informed, and inspired by the vision of Of God, the God of Scripture. The true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. Our place is on our faces before Him in adoration. All the mechanics of worship that we we read about in magazines, that we hear about in conferences, that we we talk about among ourselves, they, they fall into place only when our view of God is clear. And what we need to be aware of is that our perception of God is affected by our culture more than we know. God is above culture and not always exactly like what we think. 
And that's one of the joys of working intergenerationally. Is that we, we hear how others see God, the God of Scripture. And we realize, oh, this way I'm seeing Him is just because of my culture, my generation. I'm reading things into the Bible. And we don't want to do that. Dr. Ware reminded us, we don't want to waste our awe on the trivial or squander our sense of wonder or find the ordinary breathtaking and miss the glorious altogether. Which is more intriguing to us? The scandal of the Son of God being hung on a cross in our place for our sins. We're learning how that guy gets that cool riffs on his guitar. How does he get those sounds? Not that it's wrong to want to know that, but which, which appeals to us more? Which fascinates us more? Which are we more moved by? We have been well taught about this God we worship in this conference. And we've just scratched the surface. He is self-existent. He is all-powerful. He is eternal. He doesn't need us. We are not only nothing, less than nothing. I know how you be less than nothing. But God says, you're less than nothing. He sees the nation's as a drop in the bucket. He is the creator. He is the father who designed our redemption. The son who accomplished it and the spirit who applies it. This is why theology and doctrine and study and meditation are so, so important. Because they help us understand who we're worshiping. And we will not be able to serve future generations unless we are able to tell them who in the world it is that all the fuss is about. It's God. And He is so amazing. And so many times, we don't go here. We, we, don't, we don't go to God to try and express to people, to, to the next generation or to anyone, why, why we must worship Him. We think video will do it. If we just have the right video, if we just get the right software projection. Oh man, I've seen some bad software projection. <laughs> you know, the kind where like have, they have 150 ways to change the lyrics and they've just gotten the program. And so you're reading it and then the lyrics kind of crumble into snowflakes and the next time they flip around and the other ones come in and, and the next time they whoop off the screen, the other ones come up. You're just going, get him off the projection. Who is that? <laughs> well, we're just trying to help them worship. That's not going to help them worship God. It's just going to be a distraction. They might be thinking, man, I want to get that software program. That, that's not helping. We want to present God in all His glory, in all His majesty. And we don't worship the God of our opinions and impressions and experiences or feelings. We worship the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
co-existent, co-glorious, co-eternal, the beginning and the end, the great I am, the one and the only God, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the sins of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. He has a name. He has attributes. He is one way and not another. And although we say at times that he is beyond our understanding, because he certainly is, we don't mean in a postmodern way that, well, I guess we'll just never really figure it out. God has revealed himself to us. He has revealed who he is. And how, how exciting to spend the rest of our lives on the, on the pursuit of joy in God. On the pursuit of the knowledge of God. Biblical worship will always be God-centered, God-focused, and God-honoring. God is clearly the priority, God is clearly seen, and God is clearly exalted. So that's the first biblical thing we want to pass down. We also want to pass down the centrality of the cross because that is in Scripture. And if we know God, we know that the Father and the Spirit desire... what. Dr. Ware tell us, to throw the spotlight on the person and work of the Savior, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And if we know our Bibles, we know that the cross is not simply one theme of many in Scripture. It is the main theme of the Bible. It is the backbone of the Bible. It is the storyline of the whole book. And A knowledge of God's bigness only increases the significance of what happened at Calvary. This conference would not be successful if we went away from here just thinking that God was big. This big God became a man. And I want to share two testimonies. I'll be sharing testimonies throughout my message that describe that relationship. The way God has met me at Worship God conference has been to show me just how big he is. I felt that I had previously had a limited view of him, but now I have felt that my eyes are gradually being opened to see that he is so much bigger than I had first thought. The first message from Bruce Ware painted a beautiful picture of another side of God, another facet that I hadn't seen. I was stunned when I began to think about just how big he is. Now listen, and how limited he made himself to become a man. This God who spans the stars and names them, stuffed himself into human form and died for a fallen humanity who mocked him. That's getting the connection. Here's another. 
Often God will use worship songs to strike my heart and get my attention. Then follow that with sound biblical teaching that redirects my gaze and helps me to focus where I need to. God was faithful to do that the very first night here. And he was so kind to use a song very dear to me. A song that had touched me deeply once before and captured what God had worked in my life. As we sang the glories of Calvary, I was struck by the line, Where your boundless love conquered my boundless sin, and mercy's arms were opened wide. I realized my mind and heart had been making my sin appear bigger than God and His grace. My mouth could say, it's not about me, but that's not what my heart was proclaiming. As the messages and worship focused our gaze on Almighty God, And painted a picture that made him bigger and greater than I had known him before. I was humbled and things were put into proper perspective. I know I should never minimize my sin or discount it. My sin nailed Christ to the cross. And that is no small thing. But even in looking at the sin in my heart. It's not about me and what I do wrong. It's about God and who he is and all that he has done my sin may be great but my God my Savior and his love and sacrifice are so much greater hallelujah yes they are yes they are and if we don't worship a big God we won't see that we'll We'll either hide and run from our sin, we'll deny it, or we'll be crushed by it. Because we don't know the way out. We have to know a big God to take care of the big sins in our lives. That's why we learn about His bigness, and that's why we must know about the cross. Another quote from John Stott from his book, The Cross of Christ. The Christian community is a community of the cross. For it has been brought into being by the cross. And the focus of its worship is the lamb once slain, now glorified. So the community of the cross is a community of celebration. A Eucharistic, meaning Thanksgiving, community. Ceaselessly offering to God through Christ the sacrifice of our praise and thanksgiving. The Christian life is an unending festival. I love that line. It's an unending festival. And the festival we keep, now that our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us, is a joyful celebration of his sacrifice. Of his sacrifice. Together with a spiritual feasting upon it. In this celebratory feast, we are all participants. But what is it that we share in? Not in the offering of Christ's sacrifice, nor even in the movement of it, but only in the benefits he achieved by it. For this costly sacrifice and for the precious blessings it has won for us, we shall never cease, even in eternity, to honor and adore the Lamb." When people come up to me and ask, why do you sing so much about the cross? Man, I've never heard people so sing so much about the cross. What is it with you guys? I say, 
Well, that's what they're doing in heaven. And I just want to get ready. I don't want that to be a foreign song. Okay, enough of the lamb who was slain. Come on, can we move on to something else? No. No. This is what we're going to be doing for eternity. Glorying in the God-man who gave himself up for our sins. Ah. So that's another part of the biblical message that we want to pass down. A third aspect of the biblical message is that our worship is spirit-empowered and enabled. Do you, do you see what we've just covered? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Our worship is about God from first to last. It's what the Bible says about God. That's what we need to know. And we need to know that the Spirit illumines our minds, as Jeff taught us, edifies the body and exalts Jesus Christ. It means that when we gather, we are very aware the Holy Spirit is here with us. And He is the one who is applying the effect of the gospel to our lives. He's the one who's speaking to us. So we need to be listening. We need to worship God in faith that He is hearing us through the finished work of His Son. We need to be expectant. We need to be confident of His presence. Because it is the Spirit who empowers and enables our worship of God. We encounter God by His Spirit as He reveals the reality and the presence of Christ for the glory of God. And it happens sometimes even when we're not expecting it. My mind was a thousand different places coming into this conference, everything very present all at once. I was anticipating this time what God would do, how he would move. Even if he took me a little deeper into himself, I would be satisfied. If I could just clear my head and focus on him. In two words, worship God. It did not take long for that process to begin. The songs we sang Wednesday night warned me the wind was up and a storm was brewing. Hurricane Ware... I was tempted to read this even if it didn't have good content. Hurricane Ware made landfall and devastated my landscape, laying low the wood, hay, and stubble. I was so proud. It left me desolate, not under condemnation, but fresh conviction. I am proud, selfish, arrogant. But hey, I thought, it's okay. I'm a musician. (laughs) Wrong. He writes, wrong. In God's kindness, he did not leave me there. Tropical storm cabinets flooded my world and washed away the debris. All gone. So he could build a new city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Thank you, Craig, for your faithfulness to God and trusting him to use effectively what you were so ready to dismiss. This is the spirit. This is the spirit. This is the spirit months ago when I laid out these messages saying, okay, I'm after this guy. And I'm going to put these messages, I'm going to do a little testing of Craig's heart. And I'm going to just arrange this. And I'm going to do a little testing of Bob's heart too. And he starts thinking, did I miss something? Like that sounds an awful lot like Bruce's message. And what was I thinking? And the Holy Spirit's at work the whole time. 
God knew where I was, so if no one else needed your words, I did. God wasn't finished. He laid me low in the hurricane and removed the debris in the storm. Now he sent a gentle rain through a seminar by Eric Hughes, laying out, like so many raindrops, specific sins. Pride, arrogance, jealousy, anger, bitterness, idolatry, boasting, lust. There was no dodging them. They struck me and soaked me to the bone. I am a sinner in need of a savior. During the Thursday night worship, we sang, Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say, You are my God. I sang the words, but God drove the words home. Whether it was his hand or just the power of his word, there was a strong presence on my shoulder. Now you see, that presence on his shoulder wasn't simply an experience. It was informed by all that had gone before. I had to kneel. It wasn't an option. Maybe I, It wasn't an option like maybe I will, maybe I won't. It might be a good thing to do. I don't know. Maybe the floor is dirty. It didn't matter if there was mud on the floor. I had to be down on my knees before the one to whom I have to give an account. As I knelt, I wept. And as I wept, I worshipped. The very thing I longed to do from the beginning. That is the Spirit of God. So we must serve future generations biblically in our view and understanding and experience with God. Second, we need to serve future generations intentionally. We read in Psalm 78 verse 5 that God established a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Of course, we could see this in many places in Scripture. The Christian ministry, Ben Patterson says in an article in Leadership Magazine, is always more about what you let go of than what you hold on to. It's about leaving a godly legacy, about passing on to others the faith handed to us. This is no more true for the old than for the young, but the old have to be very stupid to miss it. Indeed, some are, but I don't want to be one of them. I want to care more for what I can give to those who come after me than what I can hold on to for myself. Oh, those are such helpful words. He's saying that the older you get, the closer you get in a normal lifespan, to eternity, to the next phase. So we should get smarter. We should realize that we need to be doing something to serve the next generation. As we become older, we become more and more responsible to train, teach, and care for the next generations. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not very old. I don't have to worry about that yet. We'll, we'll address that in just a moment. I'm not going to address it now. Two ways we can be an in, intentional in our serving future generations. The first is modeling. It's who we are. It's what we do. How we model the worship of God 
It's our duty to model for the next generation what it means to worship God. We need to proclaim what is most important, not just in what we say, but in the way we live. I'm not seeking to simply put together good outlines and good seminars and good materials and maybe DVDs and videos and radio programs and columns. That's all good. That's fine. I want to live a life that people can see and come alongside and say, oh, that's what it looks like to worship God. And if we're not committed to that, what we pass on will have a lot of holes in it. Because people can spot a phony, especially our kids. (laughs) See right through it. Which is one of the reasons why the transition from generation to generation to generation often doesn't work very well. Because one generation wants to say, do what I say and not what I do. And we want to be able to say, worship God as you see me worship God. Follow me as I follow Christ. We are passing things on. And the things we're passing on are usually the things that we don't think about. We're not even aware of them. It's like when little children, if you're in a church that's expressive in their corporate worship, they just start doing this. Or maybe they do this, depending on who they're following, who they're modeling themselves after. And in the area of modeling, traditions are not bad things. Traditionalism is. Traditionalism is where you value your tradition over Scripture. Everybody has traditions. We've developed traditions in these three and a half days. Every church has traditions. Traditions are not wrong in and of themselves. It's when we value them over Scripture. And one of the great dangers is talking so much about worshiping God that that we forget to do it. It's one of the downsides of even having a worship conference, you know, or, or going to worship websites or, you know, I, I said in one of my seminars that we need to start using worship more as a noun and a verb and not so much an adjective. Worship conference, worship music, worship CD, worship song. It's one of the downsides is that we become obsessed or comfortable with the idea that worship is all about what I like, what I prefer, what moves me, what interests me, what gets me going, what affects me, as though God existed just to push my emotional buttons, just to make me feel good. Now, I do believe that God desires us to be happy in Him alone and that there's no joy that we can conceive of that compares to that joy. But this is something different. This is where we think that worship is just a means of kind of checking out and floating in the God zone. Just kind of being there. and Wow. Wow. Did, did we worship? I don't know. Did we? It's it's a little vague. It's a little vague. 
How ironic and how sad and how grieving that when it comes to worshiping God, we're most apt to insist on our own ways and preferences. I just find that ironic. In the Lord of the Rings, if if you've seen that, remember the orcs. The orcs were very sensitive to the smell of man flesh. God is too. (laughs) He's very sensitive to it. And it's why we have to be so zealous at modeling what worship in spirit and truth really looks like. And not just throw a few externals together and, and say, oh, that's worship. Oh, it's raising your hands. Oh, it's dancing. Oh, it's singing. It can be all of those things, but that's just a very small, small, small part of it. It's realizing there is this huge, huge, huge God that we owe everything to. And we spend our days defying Him and resisting Him. And in His mercy, He sent His Son to die in our place so that we could love Him and know Him and worship Him. And here's some of the ways we do it. We don't want to prize the way we're worshiping more than the one we're worshiping. And it's easy to get them confused. We don't want our physical expression to become a badge of spirituality, or maybe our lack of physical expression to become a badge of spirituality, rather than a humble response to an awesome, holy God. What do my habits say what does my speech say about how i worship god how i view god how i relate to god about my trust in god do i sing a lot of songs and then shortly after am worrying or complaining or grumbling about something that's taking place in my life that speaks more about the worship of god than the songs we just sang Unless we deal with it through confession. Are we demonstrating that objective truth is the fuel for subjective response? Are we modeling that? Someone learned that or encountered that again here. I have been in somewhat of a dry season spiritually, been tempted to not just wonder why God is not speaking to me, but even wonder if he had left me. When we sang, I'm alive and well, your spirit lives within me, that bold declaration of truth blew me away because I realized that in spite of my subjective feelings of the nearness and voice of God, the word of God said that his spirit is dwelling in me and I was able to stand on that truth even in a dry season. Then Bruce Ware said, the only thing better than having Jesus beside you is having his spirit within you. If you look at my notes, they are perfect up until that point. I'd question that, but they are perfect up until that point. But after that, there's nothing. Because that phrase hit me so hard. 
I'm at a place now where I don't really care if it feels like a dry season because my, no, my hope is not in how the weather feels. My hope is not in my ability to sense and hear God. My hope is that in spite of how I feel, the Spirit of God, the Comforter, dwells within me and I am alive and well. Amen. Do we model that to the next generation? Do we model that to our children? What do they think is most important about worship? What do those younger than us think about what we think is most important? Our understanding and practice of worshiping God today can help or hinder those who worship God tomorrow. So we need to be intentional about what we're modeling and we need to be intentional about mentoring. Now this is especially the responsibility of pastors and worship leaders. But every one of us can play a part. If we are part of a music team, part of a worship team in a local church, we can play a part in mentoring others. Listen to this quote from D.A. Carson from his uh, devotional book, For the Love of God, Volume 1. Even after times of spectacular revival, reformation, or covenantal renewal, the people of God are never more than a generation or two from infidelity, unbelief, massive idolatry, disobedience, and wrath. And one of the means of grace that God uses to prevent that happening is one generation intentionally mentoring the next generation. Now, in this area of worshiping God, we must not allow culture or the Christian music industry to define worship and train future generations. They are seeking to serve. I know that. And there are many good things to be gained from those sources, but they are not the church. And they are not motivated strictly by desire to be biblical. They must sell product. There's just always that tension there. That tension doesn't exist, shouldn't exist in the church. Mentoring involves musical as well as theological training. And I'll give you four areas if 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 you're you're realizing I need to be mentoring someone. Character. Someone's spiritual life and humility. That would be the first thing. Before we put someone on a stage or a platform and say, Hey, help us. Find out what their life is like. Find out what their devotional times are like. Find out if, if they respect their parents. Find out if they treat their friends kindly. Biblical doctrine. Just a knowledge of God's Word. A love for God's Word. An awareness that our life is built around truth and not our feelings. Musical skill. And leadership. Just four areas we can mentor other generations in. We need to help them develop humble discernment. And one of the ways we do that is by exposing false dichotomies. Okay, we're, we're, we're taking someone, we're saying, hey, I want to help you. I want to I help you understand what worshiping God is about. Well, we tend to create these extremes of belief. And a lot of times we do it to defend and protect what we think is true. But the Bible says both. Things like, 
We pit experience against truth. We say, no, no experience. You can't. Don't do that. It's all about truth. Or we maybe unintentionally make it all about experience. God intends for us to encounter him in real ways. As we've already heard in some of the testimonies. He intends that, but it's all on the foundation of his truth. They go together. Think of, think of these categories as two wings of an airplane. And someone comes up to you as you're boarding the flight saying, we've got to lose one of the wings. Which one do you think is most important? <laughs> I think they're both important. I think we need both to fly. And that's how it is with these categories. Planning versus being spontaneous. You know, and you may be geared, you may be wired a certain way. It's got to be about planning. It's got to be a planning. No, you got to leave room for the spirit. Just got to go. Just let it go. We do both. We plan and we rely on the spirit. We rely on the spirit as we plan. Hey, there's a concept. <laughs> Corporate worship versus individual worship. It's just categories that tend to polarize people. Is it about the church or is it about the individual? Well, ultimately, it's about the church. It's about the bride of Christ. It's about the gathered, worshiping community of heaven. But that doesn't mean that I can't encounter God personally. God meets me. Jesus died for me. It's just not all about me and Jesus. You see, you see how these become... They, 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 there's a tension there, and we need both of them. Traditional versus contemporary. Old versus young. We need both. Celebration versus reverence. Which do you like better? Oh, uh, definitely celebration. Yeah. I just, I'm just a celebrative kind of guy. Yeah. yeah, those reverent people, they just got it all wrong. I mean, goodness gracious. So we, we pit ourselves against someone in the body of Christ. When we should be learning from them. One of the best things that happened to me when I moved here seven years ago was that CJ gave me a bunch of books on worship. And I had read some books, but they were mostly books about, you know, guys' experience and they take some scriptures out of here and there and there. And I started to read books by guys that I, I knew I didn't agree with in certain areas. But man, they were a lot smarter than I was. They knew the Bible a whole lot better than I did. And they seemed to love the Savior more than I did. So I thought, hey, maybe I can learn from these guys. And I have. And I will continue to. I will continue to read books that I may not agree with everything in them. Because I want to learn. And I don't want to make it about my preferences. And I don't want to polarize the issues unnecessarily. We want to always let Scripture tell us what is most important. We want to find ways to train the next generation musically. I believe the church has a responsibility to train future worship musicians. You know why I think that? Because I don't want the world telling our musicians what their music is for. And one of the reasons we have so many problems on music teams in churches is because they have brought the attitude of the world into the church. And till my dying day, 
I will work to see that stereotype demolished. God is raising up and seeking out musicians who are humble servants. And that's what characterizes them. They're almost too polite. No, you go. Oh, no, you go. Oh, no, you go. No, you. No, no, please. Glory to God. Now, we can use outside resources. We can use internal resources. But that's just a category I want to lay out in terms of mentoring. What are our children learning musically? What are we doing to serve them? It may be just finding someone in your church who's gifted musically. Maybe they can't play on the music team. Maybe they're just classically trained. Hey, maybe they could train young children to sing, if nothing else. I think that's the most important thing we need to teach them, how to sing, but then playing instruments. Now, we don't have the responsibility as the church to take them to you know, graduate levels of musicianship, you know, getting their doctorates. Yeah, I got my doctorate of Covenant Life. Yeah. Piano performance. Uh, that's not what the church is called to. But we are certainly called to give a musical foundation for those who will one day serve our churches, serve the church of Jesus Christ and leading others. And don't we want them to have spent their entire lives learning how to serve with their music rather than learning how to promote themselves with their music? I think so. Okay. Biblically, intentionally, finally, humbly. <laughs> and if it's not humble, the job's not going to get done. Psalm 78 again, verse 8, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. It's not about us. I think that theme has come through pretty clearly. At this conference. It's not about us. And every generation, whether it was group one, group two, or group three, or group four, or group zero, or every generation tends to make an idol out of their own form of worship. Whether it be a band, candles, liturgy, emerging worship, novelty becomes our idol. What's new? What's fresh? What's no one else doing? Conrad Bempf, a lecturer in New Testament at London School of Theology, says this, In the end, worship is not our story, but his story. Missions should build bridges with the culture around us. Worship should celebrate the bridge he built to us. Christian worship is not about our tunes or our words or our tongues. It is about his body and his blood. We come to follow, not to lead. It's about joining in the path all Christians have taken, not about blazing new trails on personal journeys. I find that very insightful and very convicting. To serve the next generation, we've got to let go of a few things, don't we? Whatever generation we're in. The idea that we can simply write and sing songs for those who are like us is... At best, short-sighted. At worst, selfish. And dishonoring to the Savior who came to save sinners from every generation. 
two ways we want to show humility. We want to show humility towards those who have gone before us and to those who are coming after us. First, to those who have gone before us. These are the things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We want to realize that we are not the first people who ever thought about worship. We are not the first people who ever had music that could really be used to worship God. And we want to go beyond even our present age to ask, what can we learn from those who lived when we weren't even alive? Harold Best says this, pluralism is not just choosing among present practices. Pluralism should reach back and look ahead. The obsession with the immediately relevant precludes both. And it can be argued that losing a sense of history is a sign that there is no true vision for the future, just a repetition of the present. It is the height of arrogance to assume that we're the first ones to think seriously about the worship of God. That we're the first ones to innovate. I, I read advertisements with lines like this. You know, this product, this song, this artist, this CD will change the way you worship. This is a new way of worship. This is a fresh way of worshiping God. You've never worshiped like this. And my response is, <laughs> I don't know if I want to worship like that. If that's what's necessary to persuade me to do that, tell me how it's going to exalt Jesus Christ. And make me love him more. And how it's going to make the truths of the gospel more relevant to my life and affect my life. You know, others have dealt with these issues and faced them. People like Luther, Calvin, Watts, Wesley, Newton, many others have walked this path before and have much to teach us. And if we fail to appreciate the past, we will fail to serve the future. The longer I've studied the worship of God, the more grateful I become for those I've never known. And will never meet because they're dead. Men who wrote creeds, who prayed prayers, who wrote hymns. I want to know God the way these men did. I want to learn from them. The book, The Valley of Vision, which we recommended. Uh, I just want to read you one one prayer from the Valley of Vision. Tell me if we can't learn from someone like this. This is called Calvary's Anthem. Heavenly Father, you have led me singing to the cross where I fling down all my burdens and see them vanish. Where my mountains of guilt are leveled to a plain. Where my sins disappear. Though they are the greatest that exist and are more in number than the grains of fine sand. For there is power in the blood of Calvary to destroy sins more than can be counted even by one from the choir of heaven. You have given me a hillside spring that washes clear and white and I go as a sinner to its waters bathing without hindrance in its crystal streams. At the cross there is free forgiveness for poor and meek ones and ample blessings that last forever. 
It's one of my favorite lines. The blood of the Lamb is like a great river of infinite grace with never any diminishing of its fullness as thirsty ones without number drink of it. Now that's someone we'll never meet until we're in heaven. But that's a heart I want to have. We want to learn from those who have gone before us. And not not just those who have died. Those who are now living who are going before us. Those who are just older. Do I ever think that the way I worship God is better, slicker, more profound, deeper, more relevant, or more impressive than someone who's older than me? Am I critical of my parents' traditions, pointing out deficiencies and inconsistencies? Or do I seek to learn from them? Do I ask questions? How much time do we spend thinking about how ineffective or wrong other people's approaches are, congratulating ourselves on how wise and insightful we are as the younger generation? That's just self-righteousness. And God, in His mercy, is committed to changing us. And He changed one individual here. Hi, bro. Thanks for a little piece of heaven. I have a testimony. Okay, it's more of a confession that I want this place to hear. From day one, I sat in misery and judgment upon this place. I believe each person here suffered from hypocritical collective neurosis. I felt afraid, suffocated, skeptical until I realized the problem is me. It's my heart. I want to ask everyone's forgiveness for I have sinned against them all in my heart. He he came and spoke to me last night. I have crucified Christ with a thousand nails. I realized during Mark's talk that what I saw was a miracle. Nothing short of Christ incarnate, dancing, singing, crying, laughing, leaping, playing, loving. Last week, I walked through the fields and realized that every single blade of grass was a unique and mysterious ecstasy. A revelation of truth. God knows every blade, every stalk of corn, every leaf and every seed and every tree, seen and unseen. How much more, asked the Savior, have I clothed each of you? Each one here sings with the beauty of a million blades of grass. A field ablaze with the flaming glory of the Lord. And Christ has held my hand and led me through this place saying, I love you, my beloved child. You too may dance. I see tonight that I have looked upon heaven And I have spit upon the face of the Savior's revelation. But I I realized too, I was given the grace to understand that I owe Him every ounce of my all wonder, gratitude, and praise. He has in His mercy crippled my pride and allowed another single blade of grass to break through the heart of stone within my heaving chest. I was reminded of John 12, 24. Unless a seed falls and dies, it abideth not. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit.
I trampled my seed, but God has raised up a rose. I ask the forgiveness of this cloud of witnesses and announce with joy and peace in his name my gratitude that they have let God appear in them, in you, to me, to teach me to dance, to sing, and yes, even to teach me to raise my hands in the air, exclamation point. I realize the walk I started last week continues from now until forever. And through this place, he has whispered to me, child, walk on. All praise be unto the Lord Christ and grace and peace to you. That's exactly what I was just talking about. Let's follow his example. Let's not simply be critical of what everybody else is doing. Especially those who are older. But we have to be humble toward those who come after us as well. We want to be willing to listen to, investigate, explore new expressions of worship from God's people. And this openness to consider is not the same as blanket endorsement. I have a CD collection covering a broad spectrum of musical styles. Not because I like them all, but simply because I want to learn. I want to learn from what others are doing. I never dreamed I would be affected by someone doing rap music in a congregational setting until God affected my heart through Kurt's words. Kurt Allen, who did a rap the other night that was so affecting, talking about how we were all there when Jesus was crucified. We want to look for evidence of grace in what God is doing in the next generation. We want to teach discernment, but we want to encourage. You don't simply want to say, do it this way. I've done it for 20 years. It worked fine for me. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. No, we want to say, you know what? God is so glorious. I'm wondering if he has some expression that I'm just totally oblivious to. I want to find out what it is. I want to learn what it is. Because his glory can't be contained in one style. Certainly not my own. For those of you in your early 20s or maybe teens, you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm, you know, who's coming after me? Well, you know what? The next generation's being born right now. And you are having an influence right now, whether you know it or not. If you have younger brothers and sisters, you are having an influence right now. Are you aware of how you're influencing them? Are you aware of what you might learn from them? Psalm 90 says this, For God, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. God, help us to number our days even in our teens. Three questions to ask as we leave. Who am I worshiping? Me or God? The God of Scripture or God of my own making? Maybe music. 
The gentleman writes, I came to this conference knowing that the theme was, it's not about us, it's about God. I understand this, but it really wasn't the posture of my heart. My primary focus in coming was to learn more about music. However, on the first night of the conference, God showed me that he was doing something much bigger than teaching me how to play better on my worship team. He wanted me to have a bigger view of him. God showed me that he is so much more amazing and so much more beautiful than music. As the message closed, I could have danced and sung all night of the glories of Calvary. Let's make sure we have that one straight. We can love music a lot. It's a wonderful gift. But it doesn't touch the Savior. It's a gift from him, but it's not the same as him. Who am I worshiping? Two, who am I learning from? Who are you seeking to benefit from in your understanding of worshiping God? Are you reading books? Not just about worship, but about God, about the gospel, about following hard after Jesus Christ. Are you seeking to learn from your pastors, your leaders, rather than fight with them and argue with them? Are you learning from your parents? Are you seeking to be affected by their relationship with God and learn from from them? Who am I learning from? Third, who am I influencing? We're influencing someone whether we want to or not. Sometimes we're influencing them simply by not doing anything. There'll be plenty of people who will seek to influence them. There are different ways we can influence others. One-on-one evaluation and feedback. A classroom setting. Just hanging out. The best way is to say, come watch my life. Come be with me. Let me influence you. Every one of us has something about our lives that we could seek to pass on to someone else related to worshiping God and giving Him glory. One day we will be gathered around the throne and there will be no more transitions. The transitions will all be over. I don't know if there will be old and young and in between, but all I know is I'm getting a new body. And I keep thinking of that acorn in the oak tree, and I'm getting excited. Because I'm feeling more and more like an acorn as I get older. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to being that oak tree. And we'll all be oak trees. And we'll be worshiping the one who through his blood, his sacrifice, made us a people. Made us not old and young and in between, but one church, one body, one field, one building, one temple to worship one Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God. And until the day when he returns or we die, whichever comes first, may we be faithful to serve those who follow us. May we not hide from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Amen. Father, we thank You for the privilege that we have had to glorify Your name. We thank You for the privilege of learning with those we know and those we haven't known, but brothers and sisters in Christ, learning about you and about how to effectively serve your people. 
Lord, we pray that you would use us to effectively serve future generations. We pray that you would expose where we have trusted in our forms, where we have trusted in our own practices and not relied on your word and not promoted a view of your glory which transcends our preferences. Thank you for your mercy in Jesus. You've been listening to a message by Bob Coughlin, which was given at the 2004 Worship God Conference. It has been made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. Sovereign Grace is primarily devoted to planning and caring for churches. We also hold conferences, train leaders, and publish books, music, and audio and video messages. For more information, visit www.SovereignGraceMinistries.org or call us at 301-330-7400.